This is Back to Excited with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 116. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleagues from PensionPlanPuppets.com, Acting the Fooleman. Hi. And our managing editor, Katya. I'm, I'm all alarmed. You didn't say hi, everybody. I don't know. I felt like it was and now I don't know a what little to bit say. too look at me. Well, I, <laughs> the I whole think, vibe is wrong now. I think I kind of messed up there because I said my colleagues, right? I spoiled that we have a, a guest. Yeah. Uh, and those extra 10 seconds of tension has completely ruined the flow of this podcast now <laughs> well we'll have to try well, we'll and save it move on. Mm. yes so we have um a lot to discuss and i guess what this pod is going to be centered around is uh the words of kyle dubas more or less uh the leafs had their of course as we all know they 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 lost uh, quite embarrassingly to the columbus blue jackets who suck um and <laughs> we're not over it but uh. They had essentially their locker clean out, um, you know, the virtual version of that. And, you know, the players gave all the talks about, you know, we just got to want it more. And I believe in this team and we got to take this as a learning experience. You know, those platitudes, which I don't think are too interesting to any of us. But the management and coaching uh, also does speak. And Cal Dubas said some interesting things uh, that I think are probably worthy of, of some comment. Before we get started, we should probably note that, like, similar to, to the players, a lot of what the management is going to say is going to be just kind of words for the sake of words and fans are going to get annoyed at them because fans are just mad that we lost and they want someone to blame it on so everything's going to be kind of like picked apart perhaps more than it needs to be we'll try and avoid that to some extent here but regardless of that we do think there are some uh interesting quotes that are worthy of discussion even taking that in mind so without any further ado Fulman, do you want to introduce us to our the first quote of the evening. Yes. So this was from, again, Kyle Dubas. And he said, We are not up against the cap, contrary to everyone's belief. We've got a little bit of space, and we've got restricted free agents only to sign back. As has been much discussed, we took care of our core parts previously. Uh, now, Katja, you wrote an article on this and the degree to which they are capped out. Do you want to lead on that? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll spare you all my initial reaction to when I saw that statement because it wasn't very polite. But, y you know, they are 100% absolutely without question right up against the cap. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean everything's all bad because what we've actually got is a situation where for the first time in a very long time, once they come up with the roster they will run through next season, they will be by definition some tiny amount below the cap probably on a 21 or 22 man roster and they can then play a lot of the time with even less than that and bank cap space to use at the deadline and we haven't been able to do that in years because there won't be anybody on LTIR so that's the good news the bad news is if you take essentially the roster that just played in the playoffs or something plausibly similar to that you're $600,000 over next year's salary cap. There's just no way around that. Like, that's taking out Cody Cece. You're still that much over the cap on 23 people. So we're already starting with the idea that, that regardless of how well Dubis negotiates with Travis Dermott and Ely Mikheyev, that 
we're going to be at less than 23 people on the roster, which is not a terrible thing to have to do. I think it's plausible to do, but they aren't running out and signing a defenseman without trading somebody. That's the real bottom line. And that's the thing that Dubis didn't want to say, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, unless you take a really, really um, generous interpretation of what capped out could mean and say, oh, maybe it just means that, you know, we're not completely screwed and we, we have some flexibility, we have some tradable guys, um, then then you could, if, if you say that's what he meant, then okay, you can plausibly argue that what he said wasn't a lie, but that's a, in my opinion, a wrong interpretation of the term capped out because by definition, every team is a few trades from not being capped out. Um, even even a team that's in like cap hell, like, um, I don't know, what's, what's an example of a team that's really, really up against the cap? San Jose. Mm-hmm. If San Jose traded Timo Meyer, they wouldn't be up against the cap, but that would be dumb. Right. Right? Because Timo Meyer's like their good young player. Who are they who so, who are they trading Timo Meyer to and what do they want back? And then I'll decide yeah. whether I think it's dumb or not. <laughs> uh, they're trading him to Toronto and they just want Justin Hall. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> but now we really are capped out because we just took on another four million. Oh, um Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the, the, like the way that this read to me and everything that Kat just said is correct. Um, I think this is Kyle Dubas, the politician, and there's always been more of the politician about him than I think people recognized when he was just sort of new and young and handsome and smart and innovative and all that sort of stuff. But now he's kind of a politician under fire who's being questioned. And... The message he's trying to send here is, there's no gun to my head. I don't have to do anything. If you want to come to me with a trade proposal for William Nylander, don't bring me any weak shit. I don't want to see it. He did overstate his case here because, again, you know, they have about as much space as an ant farm. It's not a flexible situation. They do have things they can do. They do have options ahead of them. And he's trying to emphasize, I'm not desperate in like a nice big sign. Um, I don't know how productive it is to insist that you're really not desperate by just kind of ignoring the math of the situation, or at least, uh, putting a very optimistic light on it, let's say. Well, here's my, but I think that's here's my question to that. Um, if somebody draws a picture of you in the dog sitting in the fire, it's fine meme picture. Have you come (laughs) off as not? in trouble in your little speech you gave to people i don't think you do yeah no and the truth is is that the situation is not what he wants it to be the team has not won around the team depending on wherever we're at with the technical reading on this sort of didn't make the playoffs this year and they are paying a lot of money to not make the playoffs and that sucks so i i mean there are no words that he can say that can alter that reality. Whether this is going to serve its purposes as sort of a political statement in terms of reflecting a kind of confidence in what he's doing, I don't know. We'll see. But I agree. It's not like it's going to solve a whole lot of problems. And again, every GM can go on cap friendly and figure that out real quick. So, yeah. Any yeah. thoughts on that, Arvind? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you guys summed it up. It, it's 
very hard to look at this as, as anything but a lie to be completely honest <laughs> right and and gms lie all the time so this isn't anything nefarious necessarily but it's a lie and it's a it's a rather obvious lie it's 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 kind of gaslighty in a sense where you know any any somewhat plugged in fan i think would realize that we're capped out um yeah so yeah it, it's i i buy your idea fullerman that he is trying to say like hey look we have options. We're good. We're not desperate. We're not trading, you know, William Nylander for Brandon Montour um, or anything like that. But, you know, it, we'll get to this later, but, you know, we only have a few levers we really can push, right? And when we're talking about actually changing up the roster. Um, and we'll get into that shortly. Um, but I guess we can move on to the next quote, which is about Cody CC and internal analytics. Which, so this is basically catnip for hockey Twitter. Yeah. Uh, we don't need to have too many more Cody CC discussions in our lives, I hope. Thank the Lord. This may be the last one, but this quote certainly provoked a lot. And I think this is the one where we need the fullest statement. Also, and I should have said this at the beginning, um, I'm relying on Maple Leafs Hot Stove for their transcription of uh, these interviews. Maple Leafs Hot Stove does a lot of really great work. They are kind of a rival blog to us, but we honestly have a lot of respect for what they do. They do a very good job of it, and so we're grateful to them. But here's the quote. The other player we brought in was Cody CC. It was part of a more complex trade with Nikita Zaitsev and everything that happened with him requesting a move. I know Cody is much maligned at times, and he certainly doesn't have the same level of puck skills as a lot of the others. But I think he is a player that, as we continue in hockey to track players and their contributions defensively, will be looked at much differently as those things become much more public. Not unlike they have in baseball or basketball with the defensive value of different players and their impact on the game. I was happy with Cody as well. Uh, Kasia, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, what my, my main thought is, is, that, is that Paul Maurice is really lucky that Dubas did this routine first. Because he said it much more directly, like, the next day, and nobody noticed. But, mm. but okay, so here's what I think about Cody Cece. I think he's a replacement-level player. Playing at, at, like, a top-pairing role, which is not easy to do, and he was, like, absolutely a null factor. He is a null factor. The only time he's not null is when he tries to pass the puck a little too vigorously. He should stick to D-to-D passes and standing around being large, and then he's fine on a third pair, and that's like all we should have ever had to say about him. But, you know, what it, does Dubas have, have like fancy stats that prove he's like really super good? Bah, he does not. I don't buy it. No. It, it is worth saying in Dubas' defense that if you stick to the, the strict wording of the quote, which is defensively, Cody CC looks pretty good. Um, it's the other end where issues arise. And I think you're absolutely right that uh, Cody CC with the puck is kind of a terrifying experience. And his goal, whenever he acquires the puck, should be to dispense with that as quickly as he can to a better player. Uh, ideally on the same team as him. <laughs> but we can't ask for everything. Um, so yeah, I think this quote, as this press conference was was going on, on Twitter you would see fragments of this quote, and it got read as the internal analytics thing. 
And I'm still a little leery of that. I think in the context where he acknowledged, you know, he doesn't have the same level of puck skill as a lot of the others. That sounds more like the Cody CC that I know and have tolerated for the past calendar year. Um, I don't know. So, yeah, I, the internal analytics thing is interesting to me because in the best reading of this, it doesn't show anything that we don't already know, right? Mm-hmm. And if he has them that are saying something miraculous, you know, I mean, the, the most logical reading of this is probably he's just trying to be nice. Uh, to a guy who's on the way out the door. If he resigns Cody CC to like a $2 million contract, then I'm going to have a problem. But what are your thoughts, Arvin? This quote looked way worse on Twitter than the full context. And I was actually annoyed at what I saw at the quote originally, the way I saw it on Twitter, because it, it seemed like, you know, all, all, you, all you knuckleheads aren't as smart as us because we know that Cody CC is actually good. Um, and then when you read the quote, and it, it's, it's actually a very, very measured kind of, thing saying, hey, Cody CC is not so horrible. He has some defensive utility, which is not untrue, right? Like if, you, if you believe the things like isolated threat and RIPM, he was, he was good defensively this year, right? He, he gave pretty much all of that back offensively. But, you know, the, it, he, he is not without any merit at all as, as an NHL player. He has some things about him. Are they enough? No. But... <laughs> You know, it, it's it, this isn't like he, we're putting me in the NHL, right? Like he, he's within the realm of NHL player for sure. So this is definitely one where I was annoyed at this quote at first because, again, it seemed kind of gaslighty of like, you know, what you guys think is true is actually completely wrong because I'm Kyle Dubas, genius, right? And and you look at the quote, it's it's really not that. Um, I think, as you said, Fulman, it's more about him being nice to a guy on his way out, Um I hope on his way out. God, let it be on his way out. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I don't have an issue with this, uh, with this comment, especially like the full context. In, in fact, it's almost a bit pointed. Like, I, I can't remember the last time Dubas is like, yeah, this guy sucks with the puck. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, it's certainly about as critical as we've heard him be. And one thing is that throughout this presser, uh, he goes out of his way to speak very positively about all of his players. And uh, as well he should, from no reason other than self-interest, because he acquired quite a few of them or signed them to massive contracts. But he's very protective of anyone on the team. There was um, one other thing that sort of came out of some of this discussion online, and it was a point raised by friend of the podcast, uh, Kevin, that's NTRider825 on Twitter. And he suggested that some of Cody Cece's defensive results might be improved or be measured as being better than they perhaps really are because he played a lot of time with Morgan Riley. And longtime listeners of this podcast will note Morgan Riley is a bit of a glass cannon. He's very strong as an offensive defenseman and the defensive results have never been very good. And defenders of him have always said, hey, he's never had a partner worth a damn. And I don't know how much I buy that at this point in his career. Uh, do you have some thoughts on that, Katja? Well, I do. I, I mean, like his his point, I think, is that is that the actual uh, more complicated models that look at on ice, isolated on ice effectiveness, or what, however you want to phrase it, uh, can be uh, uh, fooled a little bit if 
there is one person on the ice with you all the time who is particularly good or particularly bad at something. So if you're going to say that's why CeCe's defensive numbers look good because Morgan Riley is possibly one of the worst defensemen by most metrics in the NHL defensively, then you have to take the other side of the equation into account too where Riley is one of the very best defensemen offensively. His numbers are like astonishingly good. So that should make Cody Cece look worse than he really is offensively. And by the time you take both of those things into account, where have you arrived at a replacement level player who's kind of a null factor in, in, in all ways? Like y you haven't really said, aha, he really is bad. You've said, aha, he really is meh in a slightly different way. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's worth noting that in the context of this year, because of Riley's injury, CC actually had a decent amount of time without him, right? And, and the real constraint on these sorts of models is that, uh, you know, they're very fancy. It's good math and all that stuff. But I say this often when I talk about these models, no amount of math can make up for bad data, right? So as, as Fulman said, if, and as, as you elucidated to Katya, like if two players play together all the time, you can't separate who is doing what. Right. Um, in this case, because of Riley's injury, that didn't always happen. So I'm not as concerned that CC's good defense and bad offense is an artifact of kind of that kind that dependence on Riley. I, I buy that he that kind of does pass my eye test. Like he he is a player who is really really bad offensively, and I can see him actually having some utility defensively, especially if he's always played not necessarily with Riley, but with a puck mover who can who he can, you know, give the puck to in the defensive zone and say, okay, I, I, I beat up this guy by being big and strong and Cody CC, now please move the puck away from here. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's plausible. I think one of the, I wouldn't say downsides, but one of the things that, that's hard to interpret about these models is that it's hard to get a sense of cause and effect, right? Because what these really are, they're supercharged wowies, right? They're supercharged with or without use that take into account not just, you know, looking at one player A with or without player B, but the interactions of player A with players C, D, and E, and players F, G, H, and I, and K. I, don't, I think I'm struggling with the alphabet here, but uh, on the opposition and the coaching and the zone use, it takes into account, you know, it's a really, really highly multidimensional problem. And Wowies look at kind of two dimensions, and, you know, these isolated models like RAPM and Threat look at all the dimensions. But there, there is still some relation. Generally speaking, someone who does very well on wowies will more often than not be good at isolated threat too because you know they're they're distillations of the same concept so it's an interesting note and and i think it was it was good of kevin uh sabers kevin as we call him to to bring that up because it it's kind of useful to know what can drive these models and and the downsides and or not downsides but limitations that they still have right they're still only as good as the data you give them um, another example of that is actually with Marner and Tavares last year, right? Not this past season, but 2018-19, where, you know, that line was, was glued at the hip because they were doing so well. So how do you know who's actually drawing or who's driving the play there, right? Uh, is it Marner? Is it Tavares? Is it Zach Hyman actually doing everything? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is, when you, when you apply those models, they look at kind of the very small times that they are far away from one another, or sorry, where they're not on the ice together. And that can be kind of skewed with, with weird usage. In the case of Marner, those are often post-PK shifts, right? Um, 
And generally speaking, these models don't over-centralize on really small time on ice away samples, right? There, there's weightings based on that, but it, it's just a, good to keep in mind the limitations of these models with respect to the data that they are being input. They're certainly not be-all and all. They're, they're good to get a sense of, and then you, know, you definitely have to investigate further. So speaking of Marner, um, he's been under a lot of fire this off-season. Again, for, for, for reasons both legitimate and illegitimate, right? There, there's genuine criticism of his play you know you, you get paid as the seventh highest player in the world or whatever he is and if you're not visibly great people are going to come after you uh, especially a player like marner we've talked about this before on the pod where marner will have those games where he does nothing and then makes one brilliant play and gets a point and it's like that's that's mitch marner he contributed to a goal even though the rest of him didn't seem great um but then the converse of that is when he doesn't do those incredible contributions you know he just misses on that one pass it looks like, why are we paying this guy $11 million? So he got some criticism for that, and then the contract also plays into this huge amount uh, and, and the kind of very contentious negotiation. So Dubis kind of stepped up to defend him, right? And we have some quotes on that. Yes, he responded pretty pointedly. So the setup question was, what kind of player do you want Mitch Marner to become next season? And Dubis said, just what he is now. I don't get the criticism of Mitch Marner one bit. I really struggle with it. He is a guy that plays his ass off every night. He's got tremendous skill, tremendous intensity, plays every situation for us, makes a ton of plays. Everything that he, that he does wrong, people jump all over him about. And then uh, he, he went on, he mentioned uh, Mitch Marner is the player that he has been, and he continues to grow and mature and uh, do whatever every player does. Excuse me, the grammar is broken down a little bit. When they go from 22 to 23 to 24 to 25 and just gets better and better, we would be thrilled. So he's projecting a certain amount of growth ahead there. And he finished with maybe the the most stinging quote of this press conference. I don't know where this all started with the criticizing of Mitch Marner. Kyle, come on. We do know. Um, <laughs> but to me, it is among the more idiotic things that I see done here. Uh, Katja, do you, do you want to run with that one well i mean this is yeah <laughs> this is kind of this age-old problem where and 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 dubis played this really well by the way by by basically grabbing the goalposts and running all out to the other end of the field and planting them in the ground saying anybody who criticizes mitch marner is an idiot you've got he's he's like grouped everybody in together from the people who who like hate him passionately to the people who say you know he wasn't all that hot in the playoffs and so you all become the the the, the idiocracy who is who is one solid group criticizing poor little mitch and and i found that a little like i understand why he did it, it again it's political but I, but you know i have criticisms of mitch marner i've probably of the three of us i believe in him the least so uh, you know i Look, he he made it very clear. Kyle Dubas has no intention of trading Mitch Marner at this moment. That's his his very firm belief. So anybody who thinks he should be traded should like give that up. But but I think there is some legitimate criticism of Marner, specifically about how he played in the playoffs, uh, how much he shot, how bad his shot locations were, how how bad he was on the power play. Uh, how bad his shot locations were on the power play. Like, I, I think it would be a lot more productive 
to talk about that than to just have Marner give the quotes in his interview that were like, I'm going to go away in the off season and work on my shot, which, which, which made me go, oh no, because, <laughs> because I don't want him to shoot more. I don't want him, like he's, he's Mr. Confidence, you know, whenever, whenever I want to like feel brave, I say to myself, you know, think like Mitch Marner, I'm the greatest. And I don't want him to decide he's the greatest shooter ever. Because look what happened when he decided he should be paid like Matthews. <laughs> damn, that is a <laughs> that is a damning assessment, but there's there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, yeah, I mean Yeah. The the thing with Marner is he's he's a premier playmaker, right? Who isn't much of a goal threat himself. Um, which isn't to say he's like, you know, a fifteen goal scorer. He'll Throughout his career, he'll probably be in that 20 to 30 range, depending on, you know, how things go year to year. So he's a good, not great goal scorer who is a superlative playmaker. And you get into questions about how much are playmakers really worth, right? The two kind of great examples of modern playmakers are are Nick Backstrom and Joe Thornton. And as much as I like Mitch Marner, I don't think he's in their class, right? I mean, Joe Thornton is one of the 100 greatest players of all time. Uh, even though we didn't make the list. Nick Backstrom, probably not far away from that either. Marner is, is very, very, very good, and you could say he's a great fit with goal-scoring centers like Tavares and, and Matthews, um, but there's some, you know, go- scoring goals is the most valuable part of the game, and, and playmaking is not far behind that, but I think we would agree that it is behind that, that generally speaking, the guy who puts the puck in the net deserves and gets a bit more credit than the guy who passes it to him. And, you know, the least paid Mitch Marner, as if he's one of the very, very best offensive players in the world, even though his goal scoring specifically is not that great. And, you know, there's a very valid question of how much is good playmaking worth, and I don't have a great answer for that, right? What do you think, Fulman? Yeah, I think that that's a real issue. And I think I think Hatch is right that Dubas kind of went all out in the broadside and he's defending his player and he's defending his contract as well i mean he's defending himself by extension yeah that's the thing is that the truth is i know people resent having to worry about money and contracts and all that sort of stuff as part of being engaged with a team and that kind of sucks but that's the world that the nhl has built and so if you are making 11 million against the cap then the standard is higher it's as simple as that. If Mitch Marner is being paid, I don't know, uh, Braden Point's bridge contract, this conversation just sounds very different. And that doesn't change who he is as a player, but I think it absolutely changes the standard that he is held to and how you evaluate him as part of this core because the money counts. It matters. The Leafs really are capped out, to bring it back around to what we said in response to the first quote. And so... I did find this one pretty disingenuous. And, you know, I have a lot of patience for the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs being political because it's a public-facing position in this city. And you have to have some awareness. And it's fine that he's even all the way to being dishonest, I guess. But I have to say, I don't think that he really is in much doubt as to where the criticism of Mitch Marner comes from. And I'm sure Marner is a delightful guy. And to be clear, I think he's very, very good. 
I don't want to swing off into some craziness where I say, oh, actually, he sucks. He doesn't. But there is a real question here about if Mitch Marner is the very best player on a line, is that line a first line on a cup contending team? And I'm not sure that the answer is yes. And the fact that I'm not sure of that when he's paid like he is, is a bit of a problem. That doesn't mean that he should necessarily be traded. That doesn't mean that he will be traded because as we just discussed, he won't be. But I think that there is a question about his limitations versus his cap hit. And I don't think that it's idiotic to question that. Sorry, Kyle. Um, yeah. Anything to, to go off on that, Kacha? Well, or? one of the things about about Marner, I actually looked up some of his numbers to, to, to clarify this. Can he shoot the puck very well? And the answer is no. He shoots at about the rate of a, of a middle six player on the Leafs, so Janssen. He, he shoots about as well as those middle six players. So he has a little bit more shooting talent when you look at his expected shooting percentage versus his actual. So, so he's a little bit gifted at shooting. But it's very true to say about Mitch Marner, not, not just that he's never the best player on the ice on the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's certainly never the best shooter. So he should always, he's always got somebody to pass to who can, who can score goals better than he can. Which, like, this, like, I, I'm not trying to say he's Connor Brown playing with, with McDavid here. Like, the, and, and, and that's the sort of, as soon as you raise any qualms about the value of the playmaker, that's sort of how you get portrayed. But I guess, like, he fits Keith's system. That's the other thing, though. He is, like, perfect. He is like, you couldn't, in a lab, make a guy who can do Keefe's cycle system, cover the blue line for a pinch, all that kind of stuff. He's brilliant at that, but he's never going to finish the job. So, you know, like, I think he's got huge amounts of value. He fits on the team really well. I, I don't want to trade him, <laughs> let's be clear here. I just really do believe that in a few years that Kyle Dubas's opinion on that is going to change because unless the cap suddenly starts to really rise, he's going to feel really pressured to do something to use that cap space more efficiently. But in, in the interim that he's like Marner is number one guy and number one line for sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, the thing with his shot is I, I think part of the reason he wants to work on it is in order to make him less one-dimensional to the extent that, that he is. And I don't totally buy that he is one-dimensional in, in general because, or I guess I, I don't buy that it necessarily matters, at least not in the regular season, because he, he always puts up great assist numbers regardless, right? Like he, sure, it's it's one-dimensional, but you can't stop it, right? There's there's a soccer player, I keep making soccer comparisons on this podcast, but there's this soccer player named Aryan Robin, who is a right winger, very, very left-footed. And he had essentially one move. He would dribble the ball on the right wing. At some point, he would cut in on his left foot and shoot. And just it, he, that worked for him for 15 years. Right? You just couldn't stop it because he would, was just too good at that one move and he mixed up the timings. and he, the, things that he, the parameters that he could change within that kind of archetype of a move, he did. And Marner's the same way. Like, sure, he's all pass or primarily pass, but you know, he's so good at that and he mixes things up so well within that realm of primarily pass that it almost doesn't matter 
But I do think, to some extent, maybe Columbus exposed this to some degree. There comes a point where against a really good defensive team, it becomes, okay, we're just not going to respect your shot at all. Right? We're going to give you the puck, you know, 45 feet away from the net. You have four of our guys in your way. Um, We're not really pressing about cutting down your shooting angle, but we are going to make sure you cannot find anyone for a backdoor. We're going to make sure everyone else is covered. And what do you do? And can Mitch Marner beat that? Yeah. Uh, for me, the defining things about Mitch Marner have always been, one, outstanding lateral agility. Mm-hmm. And two, great playmaking vision. And so, someone remarked on this. Part of the reason that his size has never really been the issue that it was sometimes projected to be when he was a prospect is that he can evade contact quite regularly. And I'm not saying that, you know, he's a timid player or anything like that, but he can be really hard to hit. He's elusive. And so he can kind of buzz around and wait for a lane to open up for him and then make the pass. And against a team like Columbus, when no one's really inside or effectively inside because they're totally tied up, when no one's inside that Columbus defensive structure where they're all collapsed, what does he do? He doesn't have anyone to pass to who's in a markedly better position unless John Tavares has like bowled his way through. And so he gets to kind of go around and around the outside. And I think that part of Columbus being such an unfortunate matchup for the Leafs is that they were such an unfortunate matchup for Mitch Marner because he needs people to do things that he can't do in order to beat that system. Like, in any series against Columbus, I do believe Mitch Marner is not going to be the guy who drives the bus, so to speak. I think, you know, the theory of that line with Zach Hyman, Austin Matthews, and Mitch Marner has been the complement of skills. And I have to say, Zach Hyman did not have the greatest series either. He wasn't able to kind of do his dogged retrieval thing to the extent that I hoped. But I really believe that in these situations... Marner's limitations kind of come to light because he can be left outside at a fairly low risk by defenses. And that's what frustrates people. That's when people start saying 11 million for this. And he's not as bad as he looked at that stretch, but I also don't think it's nothing. Um, A lot of this also does apply to William Nylander, but he's in a separate, he's in a separate universe in terms of how much we're paying him. We're paying William Nylander to be a good first liner. We're paying Mitch Marner to be the, one of the 10 best forwards in the world. Yeah. 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 And that matters. You know? Right. And, and a lot, like one thing I want to make clear, because every Marner conversation somehow turns into a Marner versus Nylander conversation right, and vice versa. Nylander was pretty dog shit in the playoffs, especially, especially in the sense that, and Katja, you covered this in some of your um, post-playoff pieces. Uh, you had a piece about why the Leafs shot 2%. Maybe this is a good time for to go into that a little bit too, because I'm sure people would love to know. But Nylander is normally a bit of a shot generator, a bit of a shot monster. That's that's one of his, one of the great things about him as an offensive player, in theory, is that he is a true triple threat. He can carry the puck, he can pass the puck, and he can generate shots. And this year, those shots actually started to go in. Well, against Columbus, he carried the puck and he passed the puck, but he didn't really shoot the puck. That's very true. He basically uh, behaved as, as what... I think the worst possible view of Mitch Marner is in the playoffs. And, well, I mean, John Tavares was the best player in these playoffs. 
and his results were very close to as good with Nylander as, as they were on other lines like the super line. So it's, he's going to, uh, Nylander's going to take a lot of criticism for these playoffs and yet in a sense it worked and Marner Matthews didn't work and that's it didn't end up in goals like the the, the Marner Matthews uh Tavares line or, or I guess Marner Matthews in general because that that's what started game one right I think they had a decent amount of territory but or sorry um that that's what we went to after after game one rather they had a decent amount of territory but yeah I mean the five on five offense in terms of goals just wasn't there no, and and in terms of individual expected goals, Tavares is so far ahead of Matthews. You have to ask why. I mean, it, like as far as I'm concerned, like we're talking about Marner because Kyle Dubas led us to talk about Marner, which is a, which is a really handy way of getting no one to talk about Matthews. But but I think some talking about Matthews is valid because when when you describe very accurately the situation of Marner being kept like whizzing around the outside with no one to pass to. You know, Austin Matthews is six feet tall and 200 pounds. Why wasn't he in the slot? I think that's a legitimate question to ask. Why was he shooting from, like, the first row of seats most of the time? And and part of that's the way the system, Keefe's system, leads the players to behave if they have trouble penetrating the the the, the net front. But But not all of it. So uh, to me, that's, that's a very serious question is in, in terms of what happened. And, and times a thousand on the power play because Matthew's shooting on the power play was like, he, first of all, he almost never had the puck because Columbus exploited uh, Mitch Marner's nature to the extent that they forced him to shoot on the power play and, and his shot rate went way up. His shooting percentage was, his expected shooting percentage was terrible and Matthews was also bad and the whole thing was was like like you could just sit there you don't need numbers for this you could just sit there and watch it they just took his passing lanes away and funneled the puck to the net and and like whatever that bloody goalie is on he just ate them all up because they were easy Mm -hmm. so anyway now I'm getting mad but (laughs) I'm gonna get on my soapbox here because (laughs) for the love of God boggles my mind it just completely is insane to me that the Leafs for two years had the best power play unit in the world and it was Mitch Marner on his strong side Morgan Riley um at uh at the point Kadri in the middle JVR net front and then Bozak just chilling (laughs) (laughs) also appearing in this feature yeah um and the best part about this is that it gave Mitch Marner options, right? On his strong side, I, I've said this a million times, so I really, I'll make this quick. On his strong side, he can disguise his passes. You can't do that on your offside, right? And he could go to catcher in the middle. He could go to JVR in front. Both of them are great at their jobs on the power play. If that's not there, he can cycle to Riley, who's a you know good power play distributor. If, if you, so then at, at some point, we put uh, Matthews essentially on, on that pair, and we replaced um, Tavares, or replaced JVR with Tavares. And again, that lineup destroyed the world in terms of XG and just didn't get the goals, right? And people freaked out. 
people were saying, oh, this isn't, this isn't good. This is, there's something systemic here that is resulting in them underperforming their expected goals. Um, and I, I never bought that, and I could be wrong on that. But eventually this changed to Mitch Marner playing his offside and Matthews playing his offside with the idea of, okay, we're going to get that cross-ice pass. Well, but you have very little else now, right? You have Nylander uh, down low, who's, you know, good there. But it, it's, you know, your primary option is very obviously get it to Matthews. In Columbus, they're a smart team. They're going to take that away at, uh, to the extent that they can. They're going to take away all the cross-ice passes. And you're left with William, or sorry, Mitch Marner taking shots from the offside and, you know, William Nylander trying to feed pucks across from down low. And, you know, none of it is, it doesn't, it's, it's not going to work, right? So, and then a couple times they did switch Matthews and Marner back to their strong sides and it looked a lot better because now Marner has options. Now Marner can disguise himself and Matthews is so good at shooting that he doesn't need the one-timer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, anyways, that's, that's my rant. I've, I've given that many times. Um, we should set it, it to music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Matthews in the series, so I, I agree with you. Like, the, individual, the individual 5v5 offense wasn't there for anyone except Tavares in terms of getting chances. Matthews was, prob- was certainly the next best, uh, and he, he, he got some chances just by virtue of being Austin Matthews and being that good. Yeah. Um, but... And I would say on the whole, you know, we, we said this on the pod, that he could kind of be proud of his performance, especially relative to everyone else. But it, it certainly wasn't the offensive dynamo performance uh, that we would have absolutely loved, where he just completely, you know, takes over the game, shoots a million times with the slot. You give Columbus credit for that, too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't that for any of the least, except for John Tavares. And a lot of that was probably that game, too, where he had, like, one and a half expected goals himself. Well, I do. Yeah, sorry about that. I, I, no, I just want to say one quick rude thing. I mean, Ma- Matthews <laughs> might look good relative to the rest of the team. How does he look relative to Braden Point? Yeah. Mm. I, I, yeah. This is something I want to talk about, actually, because um, I, I'm, I'm really happy, in a sense, that the Columbus-Tampa Bay series is, is going the way that it is. Because, to me, this is, th- this is what you point to and say, we did not get goalied. Tampa is getting goalied. Like, but the, the degree of penetration that Tampa has to Columbus's D is far beyond what the Leafs had, far beyond, and that's the critical difference. Tampa's up 2-1 as of right now. Uh, Corpus Auto, I think, is playing better than he did in our series, which is wild. Um, but Tampa's given themselves so much of a margin that they're still up 2-1 despite having a huge goaltending disadvantage at this point. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and, and to me, that's like a clear sign of like, look, we got a little unfortunate. Not a little unfortunate. We got unfortunate. There's, there's a lot of universes where we win that series. But if we're trying to be what we think we should be, look at what Tampa's doing. That's what we should be. Right? Uh, and Katya, how, how, do you kind of feel similarly based on what you said about point? Well, to me, the entire issue of the playoffs specifically, and partly the regular season as well, is one of shot quality. The Leafs maintained their normal shot volume against Columbus. Uh, I think Tampa is, has, is actually tilting the ice in a dramatic way, and that's helping them a little. But their shot quality is fantastic against Columbus, and the Leafs were really god-awful bad. Like, like, like Detroit Red Wings bad against Columbus. And, and you look, like, the only, pl- the only player on Tampa against Columbus right now who is as bad as the Leafs is Steven Stamkos. 
who is not like playing in case anybody doesn't get the joke. <laughs> so, you know, Tampa is without Steven Stamkos <coughs> and they're basically rolling those guys. Like they're getting goalied a little or the scores would show it even more. But, you know, I think that's got to be a big wake up call to how the Leafs system plays when it goes up against a disruptive defense because like it's a bit like well Mitch Marner is a symbol of the team if you can nerf that one aspect of their offense and let them just spin around in a cycle boom 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 they they're a joke because you've completely like you've destroyed their one and only good like they have one good thing they can do they can get the puck to Matthews and Tavares and they can shoot it and if you stop them doing that like, like, it, it, it's all very well and good to say that Columbus is like some sort of unicorn designed to like gore the Leafs through the heart. But there's Tampa right now, having learned their lesson, playing them very well. I mean, it's difficult. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. It's a hard job. They're not exactly like rolling over them on the score sheet. But, but boy, they sure are in the rest of the, the, the like numbers around the game so that to me is a really good question about the Leafs the personnel and the system yeah. and yeah I want Tampa to kill him yeah, yeah. I, I think we're all rooting I mean, for for Tampa yeah I will just uh, on a purely aesthetic note I don't like it that the col- the system that Columbus plays is successful I think it's bad for the sport and I don't blame them for doing it they should do whatever gives them the best chance to win under the current system that the NHL has instituted, but I'd like it to fail. I'd like it to not be rewarded. Um, speaking of systems, is this... How much of an indictment of Sheldon Keefe is this, do you think? You know, his system... We talked about the third man high. We talked about the button hook, you know, cycling back to get possession. And the Leafs certainly had... Lots of zone time for long stretches against Columbus, and it's not that far in the past that the Leafs never seem to get a whole lot of zone time, and we would think, why don't we ever get those shifts where we get to cycle on somebody? Why do they only ever happen to us? But it wasn't as effective as we've been discussing. So, is Sheldon Keefe just failed to adapt? Like, what do we think went wrong here? Um... (laughs) In the playoffs, I think they got played. I think Columbus exploited not necessarily weaknesses, but just truths about the team, like like Mitch Marner on the power play. A- and I think they did that extremely well. So I, I hate the, oh, he got outcoached. Hey, I don't know. Like, there's players on the ice too, huh? So I think, th- I think the players are making a lot of individual decisions. But... Uh, like the the end result was the they simply couldn't get anywhere near where they needed to be to shoot the puck ever and that has to be a system problem he i, I think cor- the corrections Keith made from game 1 to game 2 were uh, very effective uh, like i think he tightened them up on their passing and this sort of thing in in ways that worked but i mean it clearly what what they as a group were doing didn't work. I I have more criticisms of Keith's system b- 
based on the regular season than I do the playoffs. Because when I went back and looked at, uh, I spent a little time looking at this year's regular season versus the two prior years. And and I think we have this idea in our mind that Babcock was a coursey coach, that he that all he wanted was shot share. And I think we're laying that on the wrong guy. Because I think that's Keefe's deal. Because if you look, at, or at least that's what he achieved, because we can't assume that the players did necessarily what he wanted to all the time. But if we look at this current regular season, what he actually did was, was maintain the shot quantity that the Leafs have always had but the quality died back and he improved the shots against they allowed fewer shots against but they gave that back away almost entirely in allowing better quality shots against them you're talking in comparison to previous years not their previous years yeah yeah not no I I don't I sorry I don't hold with the chopping off the first few weeks of the season and comparing that to doing the under Babcock this year, under Keith this year. Mm-hmm. I don't hold with that. Uh, it's the same players from day one to the end of the season. Yes, the system changed. I think you might see some, uh, but I just don't believe that that tells you anything very valuable. So that's why I looked at the whole of this season to the previous years. And it really looks to me like I test wise too, in terms of what Keith's system does in the offensive zone with the with the like he's willing to have the defenseman shoot as part of uh keeping the cycle alive so he's more interested in in keeping the possession than he is in who shoots the puck i think that's that's i don't think you can deny that that's true so that says to me he's playing for the shot share not the shot quality and the leafs can't shoot more than they already do you can't make them a shoot the puck more team because they're already almost at the maximum achievable. So to me, I think he, in trying to get them to to allow fewer shots, accidentally maybe kind of made it worse because they really did allow like higher quality shots against. Now part of that is the league this year was, well, everybody else's defense got better, but the Leafs, so I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm not really enamored of his system overall in terms of how it functions within the league this year. I, I would defend Keefe slightly with a couple comments. The, the first thing I know, and we've, we've discussed this, you know, ad nauseum on, on Slack, so I'm sure you know exactly what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> but uh, under Keefe, as you said, like the, the offense compared to, to Babcock's, Babcock's full years was not all that different in, like, net effect as you said there, there's certainly a decrease in in shot quality but it's almost like he's using that as a defensive tactic as you said to reduce the shots against and the overall like xga it, it, the leafs finally under keith got into the realm of average where they were just bad previously and i don't think they got better necessarily at defending within their own zone but i think they just played there less right and I that's think, absolutely correct that's I think all that they, they did it all point. on quantity yeah mm-hmm. so I think maybe Keefe has said, okay, look, we suck in the defensive zone. I can't change that. But I can try and make sure we play there less. In terms of his style, I mean, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of ways to skin a cat and, skin, like, you know, and, and get good results in the NHL. And I think the way we tend to view things, it, we as in, you know, the overall hockey media and fan and, and the culture of, uh, that, you know, that creates is we look at four teams that have done well in the playoffs. And like, okay, cool. That's what works. And then, you know, next year, four different teams do well in the playoffs. We're like, okay, that's what works now, right? Um, 
So I think the reality is there's a lot of different ways to do it. I don't buy that Keefe's system is... I don't think it's holding the Leafs back from anything specifically. It might not be optimal. Um, there's things I, I dislike, right? I, there, there's a lot of times where I'm like, why is Austin Matthews at the left point and Justin Hall is playing net front, right? I, I vividly remember there was this one line, there's this one time where we had Matthews, Marner, Nylander on, on a line. I think it was like a quick shift for them. And one of them got the zone, uh, passed it to a defenseman who cycled the puck and then like went in after it. And somehow the possession culminated with like a slot shot from Cody Cece with Martin Rinson in front. <laughs> and it, it was it was basically a parody of you know it's it's it, that's what the snl sketch of that leafs offense is yeah. um yeah so there, there's certainly times where it looks bad but i think on the whole it's fine maybe it played into columbus's hands i think you could say that but again i i, I don't want to portray this as if it's some disaster class by keith and the leafs were nowhere the leafs could have won that series and i put it more on the players than i do on the coach um because I think to some extent you, you have to, you know, th- those four major guys have to get those chances and convert on them, right? And we've been positive about John Tavares because um, he did get a lot of chances. But we also pay John Tavares to put those away, right? And, and he does deserve some criticism for that. That open net where he hits the post is probably going to haunt both me and, and more likely him for the rest of his life, right? Because he is that kind of guy. Um, and I think this might actually be a good point to transition to the last kind of quote we found interesting which was um the steve simmons question right Fulman? yes uh this was the briefest response by far that cal dubas gave and as urban just said to a, this question from steve simmons you referenced numerous times that the team didn't meet its potential is it possible that you and brendan and the staff have misread the potential of this group and dubas's complete response was no <laughs> what do you think of that, Katya? Well, I, well, actually, it, there's a little context to that, too. Simmons asked uh, Shanahan a question prior to that. In a similar vein, talking about the makeup of the team and, and how much cap hit they were, they were spending on forwards in a general sense, and Shanahan gave him a long, thoughtful answer that, that basically said what is kind of obvious, the answer to that. Um, as far as Dubas just noping the guy, I mean, I understand where he's coming from on that. I understand why he's annoyed with Simmons' very existence on planet Earth. I understand why he's annoyed with that question. I do think it's a legitimate question. I actually think my answer is also no, that he hasn't really misread the potential of the group necessarily. Like, I, I don't think... Keefe's system is the problem. I think it's exploitable in ways that mesh with the aspects of the team that are exploitable, and maybe that can be tweaked a little bit. I think the whole thing needs to be fine-tuned. Like, like this vehicle runs. It just isn't going quite as fast as we want it to. So from that point of view, I think the answer to that, the right answer to that question is no. But I do think it's a legitimate question to ask, is it, can you allocate as much of the cap to your forwards as you have done? That's the, the I, in, instead of talking about specific people, it, that's the real question for Dubis. And that nobody really, well, I think one of the athletic reporters might have asked a similar-ish question to that and got a longer answer that basically amounted to, 
Well, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'm not really sure what Dubis was trying to say in his answer. It was long, but it didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I think this is the question that, if I was Dubis, would keep me up at night, actually. Of, you know, we, we, we have uh, four years of this team in the Nylander, Marner, Matthews era, right? The, the big three era, so to speak. And the last two have been with the addition of Tavares. They haven't won a playoff series in any of those years. The first two, I think they were the worst team, right, in, in both of those series. The next two, they were arguably the better team, but not by enough. And, you know, small margins, small mistakes, they, they hurt you in these short playoff series. And for whatever reason, didn't go through. Um, I do think it's, it's possible to allocate $40 million to, to four forwards and, and win. For example, if, let's say we replaced those four forwards with, just to pull four names off the top of my head, you know, Crosby, Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, and I don't know who's a, who's a good winger, um, Artemi Panarin, right? If, if we just picked four great players and said, okay, you guys are now 40 million of our cap. Can we win with this team? I think we could, right? Is it, can you do it with these four players? I think actually is a valid question because the obvious answer staring you in the face of why does this team not get through the playoffs is because they're not quite good enough. They're, they're a good team. They could have gotten through the playoffs, certainly in each of the last three years, or at least gotten through the first round, but they didn't because they, they didn't, you know, play essentially well enough to do so, right? They, they, they were in tight, and they came, they, um, the coin flip tails each time. And, and that happens, but you can also improve that by, you know, weighting the coin to your advantage by having better players. So are these guys just simply not good enough to get to the point where you can build a contender? to uh, around these four guys making $40 million. I I'm not sure. It's a really uncomfortable question because I think the answer, it's possible that the, the answer is no. These guys just aren't particularly good enough, right, to build a contender around them. You can build a playoff series winning team around them, no question, right? Even perhaps a lucky conference finals team. But until they actually do something a bit more substantial or, or have a series where they completely dominate a team and, and you know, maybe some ridiculous divine intervention prevents the Leafs from going through. I do have this question, right? I do think it's a valid question. And I saw a lot of people who were like, LOL, Dubas dunking on Simmons. I, I think this is, I don't really think this is a dunk. I think this is just, Dubas has to say no, because if not, you know, well, he just committed 11 million to a guy who he's not sure can be part of a great team, essentially. Yeah. I mean, this is, again, it's a confident answer. It's, I'm not worried. I believe in what I've got. I am under no pressure to blow this up or to trade you, William Nylander, for terrible defenseman X. But I think it is a concern, is that, okay, do these four players dominate to the extent that it's okay that they are basically the team? And, you know, if we had Crosby, Point, Kucherov, and Panarin, those four guys will be the team. Those guys will be enough. Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, Marner is an exceptional collection of forward talent. But is it enough that you can do it? Is it enough that you can do it with any margin of error? And I think the truth is, is that I, like, I still believe you can build around this core at present. That's where I'm at. But you can't afford any mistakes. You can't afford... Uh, for the Cadre trade did not work out, for example, to the extent that Tyson Berry was a big disappointment. In the pandemic-lowered cap era, 
I just don't think that you have a ton of margin left because you've used all of it on paying either market value or above it to a couple of these players. And that's just how it is. So when Kyle Duba says, I'm not capped out, okay, you are not capped out to the extent that you are perfect, I guess. I mean, you're still capped out, but like you have flexibility to the extent that you are a brilliant general manager. Like this is where he's got to show I can make some sort of next level move that really can improve this team, even though it looks like my hands are kind of tied. That's asking a lot of him, but that's the situation that he's in now. And you know, that's what the money's for. I hate to say to quote Don Draper. So yeah. uh, Well, okay. I would, I would phrase the question this way about the team and about maybe even about the cap. Let's pretend that Tyson Berry turned out to be right-handed Riley. Just exactly Riley, only right-handed. And let's pretend he played on the top four all season long and Cody Ceci was on the third pair where he belonged. Does that make the Toronto Maple Leafs of this year a contender? It's a good question. I think... Makes us a contender to uh, take Tampa to six games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, that's what I think. Yeah. And so I suppose in saying, you know, no margin, it's not just that. They weren't only that move working out a way, for sure. Um, they're better. I like their chances better, for sure. But, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, if you can't do this even if you are excellent, then, then you have committed the wrong four guys, and then you need to start looking at how you're going to liquidate some assets. So... I'm hoping that we're not at that point. I don't think Kyle Dubas believes at that point. Like, my read of this whole press conference is, one, I'm putting money in the shop window to show you that I'm confident. And two, I'm okay to not trade any of the big four, except if someone knocks my socks off with an offer for Nylander, I'll do it. But that's it, and I'm leaning towards I'm going to give it one more year. I have um, kind of a follow-up question about this. So... I think we'd all be in agreement that all four of those forwards are, are great players. Um, we talked about Marner and, I, to a similar extent, Nylander's weaknesses being exacerbated against Columbus specifically, where they both became caricatures of what the criticisms of them are as you know, like perimeter players, not getting to the right areas of the ice, not generating shots from in close. Do you think that this is a repeatable exploitable weakness in their game or uh and and something that might get exposed whenever they face a good defensive playoff team or is it you know a shit happens confluence of a lot of factors columbus did well they did poorly you know is there any reason to doubt that those two guys in particular um are good regular season players who might fall off in the playoffs because i tend to have the belief that Playoff hockey is regular season hockey mostly. Like the players who are good in one tend to be good in the other. And often when you have a player who's bad at one, good at the other, good at one, bad at the other, it can be very easily explained by shooting percentage. But I'm curious about both of your thoughts on that. Katya, what do you think? Uh, my, my absolute gut reaction answer is, is that I think Nylander was an aberration. And I think any decently intelligent, defensive, sticks in lanes kind of team can render Marner really, really 
really useless. But, it, well, no, that's that's overstating things. I think, like, I think Boston can basically box him out, too. And Boston plays a completely different defensive style to Columbus. Um, I think St. Louis can, can, can make him really struggle to be effective. <sighs> if the rest of the team, like, if it... It's not Mitch Marner's job to drive the net, though. Like, that's the thing, right? Like, it's not, that's not on him. So he can be whipping around out at the blue line or behind the net. If somebody gets in the slot, everything's fine. So, you know, I guess, I guess yes and no is my wishy-washy answer. But I, I really do think Nylander was largely an aberration in this series. That's my thoughts. Yeah. What do you think, Kuleman? I guess my concern here is that, okay, let's say that this strategy, if it does work, that's pretty worrying to me because you're losing to, like, again, a team that isn't that terrific. Like, if you're losing to a defensive team that doesn't have a whole lot else, if you're, and and I should emphasize this, it's not just the result, if you're failing to dictate play... Uh, the way that Tampa did, for example, for most of yesterday. Like, that should be the price that you make Columbus pay for the way that they choose to play hockey, is that you should dominate them in terms of chances because they are sitting back. They are trying to play conservatively, and you should uh, take advantage of that. I do agree that there's a point. Mitch Marner's job is not to become Matthew Kachuk, to use an example that I gave last podcast. Someone needs to step in there. It's just, if you've allocated this much money to these four players, are you able to put a good enough player with him who can drive the net effectively? And I I don't know, I have to admit. It worries me that we are not the best offensive team because we're pretty clearly an offensive team and not great at the other end. And so the fact that we've peaked as just you know, very good offensively, but not the best, is worrying because there's nothing on the other side of it. And that kind of leaves us losing to a lot of teams. Like, if we get beat by a middling defensive team and we're not as good as Tampa on the offensive end, it's like, how many teams are we even better than that are in the playoffs, you know? Well, the worst way to look at that is that if the if if a middling defensive team can can neuter the Maple Leafs' offense, then you don't the team doesn't even have to be very good offensively to totally overwhelm them like mm-hmm. it, 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 i i i would like like them to stage for me a series between the leafs and the flyers just so i can watch it as a science experiment frankly <laughs> because i think that would be like extremely informative and i would like them to get on that and do that because the flyers are suddenly from somewhere and I'm not really sure how that's Alan Vino, but from somewhere, they're really good defensively and their offense is really good too. So not great, but really good. So what would they do to the Leafs? And yeah. I, I don't think that, like, a, it's not a pretty picture forming in my mind. Right. Like uh, Columbus is, is great defensively, but yeah, if someone could, if you, if you take a little bit off Columbus defensively and add a good amount offensively, well... Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't seem like a matchup that's great for the Leafs, as you said. Um, to your point about Nylander and Marner, Katya, I, ju- I just looked this up. Um, in the first three playoff runs, they had pretty similar 
uh, individual expected goal rates. And then Marner's was, was okay this year, and Nylander's was, was truly bad. Um, so hopefully that's, you know, a sign that it's, it was an aberration for, for him and, uh, and really an aberration for them both because Marner's was, was better but still not particularly good. Well, of course, that those shifts Nylander played as center were, yeah. like, that was just There's a big hellishly bad gulf between them two. Because there, there was, I remember last year, wasn't at some point we had, you know, like, Nylander, Brown, Hyman as a, as a liner. Or not Hyman, who, who was on the left wing? Marlowe. Pardon? Oh, yeah, Marlowe. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Yeah, that, 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 that didn't go amazingly well, as you could have expected. Um yeah, it's it's tricky. I, I really don't want to think that there's some fatal flaw that, you know, hurts them in the playoffs. Because I think that, that goes into all those hockey tropes that we've heard for however many years, right? Where it's like, oh, you got to be tough, got to be man, you got to be Canadian, right, in the, in the playoffs, right? Um, and, and you look at, you know, other, other players, and Phil Kessel's been, you know, one of the best playoff performers of, of the modern era, Danny Briere as well, who is, you know, no one's idea of a power forward. So, you know, it, it, it seems like it doesn't stand up to scrutiny, but I want the results to reflect that soon. Yeah. I, I think ultimately this comes back around to, okay, if this core is good enough at this, you know, expense level, now is the time to show it. Kyle Dubas, use that cap space that you allegedly have. And... Put a team around them that can work. Like, this is it. I really do think that this comes back around to Kyle Dubas' doorstep. As much as I like him, and he's done a lot of things that align with my ideas how this is supposed to work. You know, he gave this politicians a little bit petulant, a little bit snarky kind of interview. That's fine, because I hope he's got a realization now that it's all on him and that he personally does not have a lot of margin for error now. I'm sure that, you know, you always have to be aware of the pressure that's on you running the Toronto Maple Leafs, but this is it now. If you believe in this vision still, you have to go and do something with it and try and pull a bit of a rabbit out of a hat. Or if you're confident that it's just going to grow and sort itself out, okay, but it's your ass, so... Yeah, that's my bottom line on it. Yeah, pretty much. No, I mean, that's it's... that's totally fair. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, any, any last thoughts, Katja? Well, I guess my question is: is what's the rabbit look like? Like, what mm-hmm. what does a team actually need to do? Like, they like I said, they can't shoot any more than they already shoot, and and they're modest decline in shot quality isn't a huge deal they could probably goose that back up a little bit and 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 improve in that sense but that's still not going to put you over the hump so we are absolutely looking at they either have to get the quality of the defending up which is probably more personnel than and systems than it is anything else or they have to get the shots against down even lower and like can can you can you like, let's trade Casperi uh, Kapanen for a defenseman who, who makes $3 million. Is that going to do that? Like, wh- how's that going to show up in the overall stats? 
are you going to like enter yet another regular season with like a 51% Corsi and a, and a barely over 50 expected goals? Because that's where we're at. We're at sort of 52, 51, 51, 50 for like ever since, you know, Mike Bab Babcock did a high Corsi tank. Um, and that's never changed. Like that's the reality is, is, is it's just repeated slightly different methods to the exact same result every year yeah and I, I i think there's a couple areas i think of hope for the leafs um one is that again uh, under keith that those numbers did improve now we've talked about this before and i hate the idea as you said you, you alluded to this before of throwing away the babcock data it was the same players sure they quote unquote gave up on their coach but the results were, were worse that does inform partially on the coach but also partially on the players right you, you don't just throw away that data um I think the hope has to be, you know, the Keefe kind of bump was quote-unquote real. Or sorry, the quote-unquote Leaf bump was real. I, I, should, I put the scare quotes in the wrong spot there. Um, and that health and goaltending improves the Leafs a little bit further. One thing I will note, um, Jonas Brodin only makes $4.1 million. <laughs> <laughs> the, the honest answer to the question of, okay, like, what's the rabbit that comes out of the hat is... I'm thinking it's you have to find what they have thus far not always found, which is a quite good defensive player who is cheap. And that's difficult. Um, this would be a great time for those fancy internal analytics, Kyle, if you want to find somebody. But, uh, you know, that said, points still tend to drive paychecks to a large extent in this league. And I think you have at least a chance of doing that. Like, if you make a Casbury captain trade then I want the return to be good. Again, he's not going to be able to pull Alex Petrangelo. One guess we do just trade Mitch Marner as a cap dump, which seems kind of silly. So it, it's not going to be magic. I don't expect it to be a big name in lights. And again, that's tough. That's a, the position he's in. He's got to find excess value somewhere that is not immediately obvious. In other words, he has to be a really good general manager. Uh, Fulman Dubas has heard your claims for fancy internal analytics, and he's decided to promote Justin Hall to one right D. <laughs> <laughs> well, as as soon as Cody Cece's contract expires, Justin Hall is one right D. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, on, on the so subject of Brody, are. who's been a bit of a fascination of mine, because I think ha at the lowest point of, of the Leafs Columbus series, I said derisively that the Leafs are just the fun wild. Right when that That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. It was. It was a sad day because I think we both kind of agreed with you. Yeah, because it's just... It hurts because it's true. Middling team, good XG. People don't realize this. The Wild had, like, the second highest XG in the league or something. Some, some, something dumb like that, except it was, you know, all defensive. Um, and their goalies, I guess similarly to the Leafs, were pretty bad this year. Uh, so I started looking at their roster. Like, okay, is there anyone there you can look at? Brodine is, is kind of fits that prototype of being a good defensive defenseman um he only has one more year left at 4.1 million and i think in theory you want to give up one of the third line guys for that right the uh, and you might have to add i think minnesota might be like they might laugh you out of the building for that it's like we don't fucking want kasperi kapanen <laughs> like what is he doing for us all right which which valid um and yeah, I, th I think, you know, they might just be like, okay, that's a non-starter. We want, you know, someone better than that. And well, as we've covered many times, 
there's a gigantic gulf between the players we want to trade and the players who have actual value in moving kind of an actual game changer, right? And we have no one in between, right? Kadri was that kind of in-between guy, and then we traded him for maybe my least favorite Leaf of the past 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck Alex uh... Kerfoot. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's Barry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough, you know, um, and, and I don't know if he'll be able to do it. it this is going to be a strange off season, and hanging over all of this, by the way, is that next season is also going to be weird at best. Whenever it does take place, right? And it might take place like, you know, Katja, you've mentioned this too, where it's, you know, I think the idea is like, oh yeah, it'll maybe start in January. And it's like, will it? You look at what MLB's having, you know, the issues they're having. Um, Unless there's a vaccine that comes out tomorrow, I don't think January is going to be a whole lot better, especially with winter in large parts of North America that necessitates being indoors more. I think there's worse options than it than it being late. I think there's a real possibility that they might go to some kind of multi-hub or quasi-multi-hub system, and you might see the Leafs play nobody but, like, the same five teams for three months. Yeah, it's like we'll face Buffalo, Ottawa, Montreal, Boston. Yeah. yeah, and it'll be, it'll be all the teams that we already absolutely hate. So. Yes! <laughs> it's going to be dark. Oh, boy. But I think, I think you're on to something there. I think that that might be how it works. I mean, and to the NHL's credit, thus far, the bubble has seemed quite workable, notwithstanding, you know, I know there's there's a toll on the players, and Tuka Rask this week decided he's just not up for it. He has to go home, and I obviously don't judge him for that, and I don't know his personal life, but notwithstanding Looks like that, someone doesn't have the stones of mike milbury <laughs> <laughs> only one man has the guts to just absolutely slam a man for returning to his family when they have a newborn uh yeah so i don't know what it'll look like it's gonna be strange it's gonna be very weird in terms of the run-up to this and then the execution of it and again it's sort of like i feel like i just keep saying there are no more excuses for kyle this. Like I did, like just in different words, I keep saying, you know, shit's tough, but too bad, and that is kind of my opinion on him: is that shit is tough, but it is too bad. So. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly how I feel as well. That that this is like he actually needs a really hot, like burning regular season, mm. because like look look what this regular season, look what his opinion of the team in this regular season was. He sold some cap space at the deadline. He didn't go and get a guy. Well, he finally solved his backup goalie problem, uh, you know, several days late and several dollars over budget on next year's contract on the guy. But he, he sold cap space instead of trading for a player. That's like basically the general manager saying, like, this team is Montreal. And, and, and now look where we are and where Montreal is. And, you know, like, if you if you openly express that opinion about the team that you built on the ice in a year when they were supposed to be improving and all they did was well they they got worse as far as i'm concerned then this coming season boy they need to be good hmm. yeah and, and you know insofar as there's a ton of faith in sheldon keith and i don't i certainly don't think he's a miracle worker I, I think he did invent uh, line changes, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, you and know what? Out. That was yeah. 
Uh, it's a miracle that he uh, invented coaching, really. But I, I do think that if you're going to judge him fairly, we probably need to say, okay, you get one solid run at this and you get a training camp. And granted, he got sort of one going into the playoffs. But okay, this is it. This is your full-on do-whatever-you-gotta-do chance. Am I misremembering? Uh, or did, did Keith say something to the effect of like, oh, this bubble training camp will be really useful? And then in his postseason comments said... <laughs> We need a full training camp. I don't know. I know he said we need a full training camp in the, you know, exit interview comments. Yeah, I remember the exit interview. I don't remember, I don't remember if he actually said, yeah, this training camp isn't really useful to, like, drill down. It might have been the players who said that. But um, if so, that's a bit contradictory in of itself. Not ideal. Yeah, I like, I'm sorry. I know there are people out there who are blaming the performance in the playoffs on the on the overall situation. Uh I don't. It's the same I don't for buy everyone, that at all. Right? Like it's yes, like, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And not only is it, you know, it isn't the same for everyone. The Leafs were playing in their own damn rink, yeah. and they never even had to get on a plane to get there. So, you know, mm, I don't buy the situation excuse at all. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. And the truth is, is that there's always going to be something. There will always be some player who misses with injuries. There were actually fewer of those this year than there are likely to be any year in the future, unless the Leafs get quite lucky. Um, you know. I'm reasonably certain there was a one player, I'm not going to say the name, but one <laughs> player on a team that won the Stanley Cup, and well, he was in the finals. His wife was busy divorcing him. And it became <laughs> very public. And, you know, there's all kinds of stories like that. Like, yeah. life goes on around you when you're playing the playoffs. So, you know, you can't, if you need perfect conditions, <laughs> you've just identified your problem. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is because no one else will ever be in perfect conditions either. So you're saying we can win as long as we get 100% of us and 80% of the other guys. Well, nope. So, yeah, I, I do, as much as I respect a lot of what Cal Dubas has done, as much as I like these players, as much as I think that his behavior to this point, has been coherent. Like, I don't think he's done dumb shit for the most part, which is good, um, because that was not something that I could have said about a lot of his predecessors. But, you know, this is the situation that he's in now. He's got a team that's probably, I don't, what would you say, 10th, generously 8th in the NHL? And he doesn't have a lot of room to add to them, again, unless he makes a great move, so... He really needs good shot quality on his moves this offseason. <laughs> really true. good. Yeah, yes. very, very much so. He he can't he can't afford to uh, be a, pull a Mitch Marner here. <laughs> <laughs> that has levels. Yeah, it really um, does. Okay, uh, so I've run through all of my quotes. Um, yeah, I th I th so I don't know if you guys have some parting thoughts. I mean, not, I, this kind of comes down to the same thing we, we've always been discussing, right? Where it's what's what's gonna happen you you do as you say as need to pull a rabbit out of your hat you it, it sounds dumb because we we keep saying win a trade is not an actual plan but i mean if you could do it that'd be great <laughs> yeah yeah well well don't lose a trade yeah mm. like but like that's the first instruction uh like my only thing is is, is like i'm willing to predict what i think he's going to do i think he's going to trade one of kapanen or Janssen oh yeah for a defenseman i think mm. he's going to try and jig things around to maybe get 
another defender on a low contract and like draw a line under it that's it like that's what he's doing and they and and I don't mean exciting defensemen I mean like if he can find Gavrikov's right shooting brother that would be ideal mm. yeah I, I mean I, I think what is definitely going to happen is we'll go into next season and our two best defensemen will still be Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin and they will still be anchoring the left side of the top four and what's going to change is probably who they play with. And I still wouldn't be astonished if Muzzin Hall is one of them. And I think uh, I think you know yeah. you, you would you wouldn't get great odds on someone usurping Hall on that uh, on that on on Muzzin's side, right? Like I think if they're even, yeah, if, if they're going to even, get I think that's likely going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we need as you said, Gavrikov's you know right-handed brother would be would be great. We need we need we need Gladislav Vavrikov. <laughs> <laughs> and i mean maybe that's um miko Lettinen, who knows but uh, you know you, you don't yeah it's you know relying on euro free agents to be anything besides like okay maybe he can be a sixth defenseman is, is yeah, probably not smart right mikhaev kind of shocked all of us by being competent this year and then the bloom came off the rose a little bit in the playoffs because he he was really really bad yeah I mean, if you want to go into the excuses territory, he has maybe more than some of them. Yeah. Because he got his wrist cut open and he was, you know, he missed six months, half of which was the pandemic, but still. But yeah, I mean, the reality is he came in, he was hot like burning on shooting. He is very shot happy. That's certainly true. And so you just have to be aware of that. And if he can maybe get a little more selective, that might be better. He's a third line guy. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I think that was a really fun and exciting discussion. Uh, Katya, thank you <laughs> so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me again. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So you can catch all of mine and Fuleman's and Katya's work at pensionplanpuppets.com. Uh, obviously, it's off-season stuff now, so we'll have uh, more coverage of any news that comes about. You can also follow all of us on Twitter at RVATFuleman and at Katya Nap, K-N-A-P-P-E. I, I guess that's how you pronounce it, right? Sure. Okay. <laughs> it's in the eye of the beholder. So um, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.